Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful, sunny Sunday. I'm grateful to see all of you here, and I'm grateful for all of you who are tuning in online to join us as well. Let's stand together, and let's kick off this morning celebrating the love that never fails. Here we go. Let's sing, church. Nothing can separate, even if I ran away. Your love never fails. No, I still make mistakes. You have new mercies for me every day. Your love never fails. And you stay the same. Sing it, church. You stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when the ocean rage I don't have to be afraid because I know that you love me your love your love never fails your love your love never fails oh that's right the wind. The wind is strong and the water's deep. I'm not alone here in these open seas because your love never fails. The chasm is far too wide. I never thought I'd reach the other side. Your love never fails. And you stay. You 
we are preaching the miracle of love. And as we get closer and closer to Easter, you and I, I feel more compelled than ever to tell you that God loves you. Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus wore a thorn of crowns and was nailed to a tree for you. And he wants to have a personal relationship with you. God really, really loves you. Let that sink in for just a minute. God really loves you. I hope that that is news that, for me, for all of us, never gets old. I've got a friend Closer than a brother There is no judgment Oh, how he loves me I've got a friend He is my strength He is my boy Oh, God really loves 
Father. What a Father. We are not alone. Cause why? Cause God really loves us. Yeah, God really loves us. thank you for loving us and as we head into this time of communion help us to be ever mindful of the enormity of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for our behalf driven by love the miracle of love thank you Lord thank you for saving us thank you for loving us you are worthy of our praise in our devotion. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat, everyone. Okay, well, good morning, church. If you didn't already get it, God really loves you. I'm so grateful for that. And this morning, we're going to celebrate uh, communion together as a church. Hey, Gaton family. Valets. Oh, gosh, my heart is so full this morning. see so many familiar faces. Um, God really loves us. And as we celebrate communion, our focus 
And it's really all about how God really loves us. You know, Easter is just two weeks away. And Easter is when we are drawn into the, uh, the recognition and the remembrance of Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. He is our Savior because he saved us from our sins. He bore our sins on the cross. He died in our place so that we can have forgiveness and we can have reconciliation to God. This morning, I want to zoom in on the Wednesday and the Thursday before Jesus went to the cross. It was a time of Passover. Passover is and was one of the most important religious um, celebrations of the Jewish people. It remembers and celebrates the time when God freed the Jewish people from captivity in Egypt. So they had been captive and held captive for over 400 years. And God was now saying, it's time for you to leave Egypt and go to the land that I have promised for you. But Pharaoh would not let God's people go. So God sent many plagues on the Egyptians to convince Pharaoh to let his people go, but he would not. So God told his prophet Moses to tell all the Jewish people to prepare a special meal of lamb and unleavened bread. Now, those two things have great symbolic meaning. The lamb was to be spotless and the bread was to be unleavened. Um, that's without yeast. So when the lamb was killed, the blood was to be put on the doorpost of the homes of the Jewish people. So an angel of the Lord came, and as the final plague, the angel killed the firstborn of the people of Egypt, including the Pharaoh's firstborn, including the animals, the firstborn animals of the Egyptian people. But he passed over the homes that had the blood over the doorpost, the homes of the Jewish people. So you can see how remembering the Passover is very important to the Jewish people. So let's fast forward to the time of Jesus. On Wednesday night, the Passover time had started. And Jesus was going to have Passover with his disciples. So he sent Peter and John out to get the preparations ready. Now, this wasn't like going to the grocery store and cooking meals. It was so much more. They found that spotless, perfect lamb. And there was the, um, uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 the cleansing and the purification and everything that was involved in the sacrifice of this lamb. But Peter and John went out and did that. It was common for large groups to share the Passover together, but Jesus wanted a separate room for just him and his closest disciples because he knew that this meal was going to be very special, very special. Why was it so special? Because it was Jesus' last meal with his disciples, because Jesus knew he was going to the cross. And at this time, at this supper, Jesus did something very special where he washed his disciples' feet. Now, normally that was something that was only done by the lowliest of servants. But Jesus put on the, the garment of a servant and he washed his disciples' feet, teaching them that um, the most important people must be like a servant, willing to do anything for other people. And that's who Jesus was. He was willing to do anything and everything for us. So it's special because also because it was a new covenant. So Jesus raised the bread, and he prayed over it, and he gave 
the bread a new special meaning. So when we're going to take these elements, these just it just isn't a wafer and juice. It has a specific meaning. The bread, Jesus said, was his body that was given and broken for, for, um, for all. And the cup, he took the cup, and that cup was a symbol of his blood, his blood that was going to be poured out for all for the forgiveness of sins. So the people, so, so that people could be forgiven. And he also said that these symbols were not only to remind his followers that he had to die, but that he would also come back to earth one day and make the world perfect. So the Lord's Supper, it's a beautiful gift to you and I. It's a gift of remembrance of his body and his blood that was shed for us. And so this morning, we're not just going to remember it, but we're going to partake along with, with um, as Jesus' disciples. And we're going to be part of that, recognizing what Jesus did for us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to come forward, this side to, um, to my right, this side to my left, and to get the elements. And then once you get them, if you'll have a seat, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. So go ahead and come forward at this time. Right now, I'd like to lead us in a special prayer to help prepare our hearts for taking communion together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts. Lord, show us anything that is separating, um, separating us from you. We want to come to the communion table uh, with hearts just uh, grateful and hearts that are um, just moved by your, your love for us. And so we want to do that with a clean heart. 
And so, Lord, show us anything, um, any pride, any unconfessed sin, anything where we haven't forgiven um, that may be hindering our relationship with you, and forgive us. And thank you for going to the cross for us, because our desire is to live for you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. So on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took a cup after supper, saying, This cup, it's a new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's church. Let's church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Jesus, thank you for being our sacrificial lamb who willingly went to the cross and paid the debt that we deserve to pay. And God, thank you for your love. You really love us. You love us so much that you sent your son to die for us so that we can have a relationship with you. And for that, we are grateful. We are grateful. And so, Lord, I just um, I thank you, and I thank you, and I thank you, and I thank you. And I just can't stop thanking you. Thank you for your victory over death. You took the death that we deserved. You took our punishment. So today, we just want to remember and we want to, as we participate in the Lord's Supper, we want to rejoice and we want to worship and we want to praise you, Lord, for you are the one who set us free. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Carolyn. Before we continue with our worship and uh, before Pastor Gary continues with his series on Daniel, let's take a moment or two to greet some folks around us. And we'll get back to singing in just a second.
cool to see some old familiar faces today. Folks, let's make our way back to our seats. Uh, next song that we're about to do it's been a while since we've done it but what I appreciate about it is its message of humility and as we prepare not only to head into Easter weekend but as we prepare to hear hear God's word from Pastor Gary in just a minute we want to be humble about it we want to be humble in our approach we want to be humble in in the way that we listen we want to be sensitive to how the Spirit wants to speak to us, what He wants to teach us. So together, let's ask God to be magnified in our lives. It goes like this. One, two, three. I have made you too small in my eyes. Oh, Forgive me, and I have believed in a lie that you were unable to help me. But now, but now, O oh Lord, I see my wrong. Help my heart. Give me 
In Christ's name, amen. Oh, I'm good. Thank you. All right. Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you guys. Uh, if you're joining us from Facebook or YouTube, we're really, really glad you're with us today. A uh, little tweet. Good to see you. Uh, kind of. My wife is homesick, all right? Uh, so I want to say hi to her. I want to say hi to my mom, too, because she usually watches later in the week. So how are you guys doing? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's really, really good to see all of you here today. Uh, we are going to continue with our series on uh, the book of Daniel. I'll talk more about that in just a minute. You know, I want to make a comment real quick if I can. Uh, last week, we voted unanimously to uh, to approve our elders uh, this year, which includes Rich Friedrich, Steve Acord, Eric Clausen. And, you know, I, I think I was probably delinquent. I probably should say this is our elders, just in case you don't know this, uh, they are kind of like they they are like pack mules. They really are. They do a lot. I don't know if you know this or not. Uh, they don't just sit in a meeting with me once a month. Tell me what to do. All right. Uh, but our our elders, they give 
very generously. Financially, they give very generously of their time. They give very generously of their talents. They do things like they make sure that we have someone in charge of sound every week. They make sure someone's in charge of multimedia every week. We got one of our people who is actually one of our elders actually working in our children's ministry. Uh, they help greet. They pass out notes. Thank you, Steve. Wherever you are, there you are, Steve. Uh, they uh, they make sure that we the offerings counted, that it's deposited every single week. They lead small groups. Just in case you weren't aware of that, they do lead small groups, uh, which to me is a major part of what they do because that's where they're involved in shepherding the flock of God, and that's what elders are supposed to do. Uh, they take care of our facilities. I came here on Tuesday. Uh, unexpectedly found Steve here waiting, had been waiting all day uh, for the telephone people to come in and try to figure out uh, what they didn't know about telephones, only to find out that our building wasn't really involved after all. And Steve gave a lot of his day uh, for that. Uh, but other aspects of caring for our facilities, uh, we have one of our elders is involved in serving, reaching out to people who don't know Jesus through Opportunity House over Travis Air Force Base. And another one of our uh, elders is investing himself in a very interesting kind of evangelistic enterprise called Pickleball. And um, and it's kind of like networking with people in the community in very, very natural ways in a way that he can reach out, invite people to our church, invite people to follow Jesus. Uh, so basically our elders do a lot. And I, I probably should have said that last week, but uh, just want to say a big thank you to you guys. Uh, can we say thanks? Is that okay? All right. All right. Appreciate all you do. Appreciate all you do. Um, so we are in the middle of the book of Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 5 today. So if you have your Bible, I'd like to encourage you uh, to open up that to Daniel chapter 5. And uh, real quick, let's just kind of talk about, let me give you a little bit of background. In 605 B.C., there was a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the probably the greatest king of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. Uh, he... Uh, he, uh, led, uh, Babylon to, uh, victory over the Assyrians, over not just the Assyrians. The, the Assyrians are different from the Syrians. He, he leaded them in defeating both those nations. Also, the Egyptians, Judah, Moab, Ammon, basically everybody. And, uh, he was the greatest king. Uh, of the Babylonian Empire, and he reigned from 605 B.C. until about 562 B.C., and he passed away at that time. Um, and so he was like, um, when when he came in, it's really interesting, he's a pagan king, okay? He's a pagan king, worships pagan gods, uh, which is kind of what you expect, okay? And in the ancient world, if I'm a king and my country beats your country, that means my God is bigger and greater than your God. But what the Bible tells us right at the beginning of, of, of Daniel chapter 1 is it says this. It says, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, not the God, not Marduk, not the God of Babylon, but the Lord God of Israel gave Josiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And so we see right from the beginning, the person in charge here is not Nebuchadnezzar, certainly isn't Jehoiakim. But the person in charge here is the Lord God, God Most High. And, um, and it's really crazy as you read through the first four chapters, the first four chapters of the book of Daniel, and you get to the end of Daniel chapter 4, and it's fascinating. 
because as you're working through as you're working through these these chapters, what you see is over and over again, you see that that the, the Lord God most high is sovereign over all the nations and puts over them anyone he wishes. So you pick any leader anywhere of any nation ever. Okay? I'm talking about every single president of the United States. I'm talking about uh, every political leader of every communist country that's ever been. I'm talking about every anti-God leader. And God is sovereign over every one of them. God puts over these nations whomever he wishes. Anybody who says differently is in conflict with God Almighty. God is outrageously, awesomely in charge. And that is the big storyline of the book of Daniel. When you read about prophecy later in the book of Daniel, it's not to satisfy your curiosity. It's not so you can know what's going to happen next week, next month, or next year. It's so you know this and this one thing only. The Lord God Most High is sovereign over every single nation. And puts over them anyone he wishes. Now, that is what drives us through uh, the book of, 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 of Daniel. What's really crazy to me, though, and I love this, because Nebuchadnezzar is a pagan king. If he wants to kill someone, he kills them. All right? He's kind of like a mafia boss, all right? Just think of The Godfather or any other gangster movie you've ever watched. If you haven't watched them, don't watch them. Um, uh, or if you do, don't tell anybody. Uh, but, but uh, you know, that's a lot the way these guys ruled. If they wanted someone, you know, gone, you know, they were gone. They were dead. And if anybody, they said they wanted someone to live, they lived. And if they wanted to see someone promoted, they were promoted. That's the way it was. Nebuchadnezzar was a guy who had a rage problem. I talked about this a little bit if you've been with us through the last few weeks. He had a rage problem, uh, really needed an anger management class. Uh, and uh, he was, um, you know, he just was kind of an interesting guy. And, and what's fascinating is you're reading through, he gets to see little glimpses of the God of Judah doing awesome things. And then you'll hear him say things like this. Wow, you know, Daniel, there is no God like your God. He'll say that. But he refers to God as your God, Daniel's God. And then later you get into chapter 3, and it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says to them, he says to them two different times, man, there is no God like your God. And then he says it again, there's no God like your God. And finally, we get to the end of Daniel chapter 4, and it's really fascinating, because at the end of Daniel chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, um, the, 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 Jane, or excuse me, uh, uh, Nehemiah, he says this in, in verse 37. This is the last verse of Daniel chapter 4, and actually sets us up for Daniel chapter 5. In the last verse of Daniel chapter 4, he says, Now, 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 that's an important word, now. You know what now means? It means now, okay? Now. Now is an important word. Okay? It's an important word. Why? Because before this was not now. Okay? Before this was not now. But now means something new is happening. Because what he says is this. He says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of heaven. 
Because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. This is a conversion story. This is the conversion, the salvation of a pagan king who now worships, praises, exalts, and glorifies the king of heaven. And then he says this, and those who walk in pride, who's he talking about, those who walk in pride? If you were here last week, who was walking in pride? Nebuchadnezzar. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. You know, I'm going to tell you something real quick, and this is going to come into play a little later in the message. You know why people worship idols? You know why? Well, sometimes they worship in ignorance. Sometimes they worship in ignorance. But sometimes people worship an idol because they want a god they can control. You know, a lot of times people don't want a God who will say no to them. A lot of times people don't want a God who will say to them, I'm sorry, but your lifestyle that you're choosing is a life of sin. It's destructive. See, sometimes people don't want a God who tells them no. Sometimes people don't want a God who tells them that the path you're in is destructive. They want a God who pat them on the back and says, it's all okay. Whatever you want to do, that's no big deal. See, this is part of the reason why people worship idols is because pride reigns in their hearts. Nebuchadnezzar didn't want a God who could tell him no. Why? He was the supreme ruler of the world. I'm sorry, the Star Trek language, isn't it? He was the supreme ruler of the world. Oh, the universe, whatever. Okay? He was the supreme ruler. Um, but Nebuchadnezzar had to learn, no, I'm not the supreme ruler. The Lord, all God, uh, the Lord God Almighty is. Daniel chapter 5. Let me, let me read this. King Belshazzar. Oh, by the way, we finished, we finished uh, chapter 4 with now. Chapter 5, verse 1 is no longer now. Okay? It's a new now. Let me just be real clear. Because, see, when you read this, you probably don't get this. You probably, unless you're a history nerd, you probably don't know this. Between uh, chapter 4, verse 31, and chapter 5, verse 1, there's a passage of time here. At least 25 years, maybe longer. See, see, um, Nebuchadnezzar died in in, uh, 562 B.C., and um, this is now 539 B.C. It's 539 B.C., the beginning of of chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, it, 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 that that uh, there was a guy named Nabonidus. Can you say Nabonidus? Nabonidus. All right, there you go. You know, you know the name of another Babylonian king. Nabonidus was king, was king, and his son was kind of like a vice king with him, Belshazzar. He, he was a co-regent with him. Nabonidus right now is well, not right now, but right then in chapter five, verse one, he was in a place called. Uh, Heron, and he was giving oversight to the construction uh, of the god called Sin, the moon god, the Babylonian moon god called Sin. So he wasn't in Babylon. And so his co-regent, co-king, uh, uh, Belshazzar, was reigning in, in, in uh, Babylon at this time. The other thing that's important to know is this, is that Cyrus the Great, uh, Cyrus the Great, who was a king of Persia at this time, 
the king of the Medes and the Persians, they were having a number of skirmishes with the Babylonians, with their armies, and they were defeating them again and again and again. And at this time, chapter 5, verse 1, the, the Medes and the Persians, massive armies, massive, uh, just huge throngs uh, of soldiers are surrounding Babylon. But Babylon is impregnable. It is surrounded by walls, several walls, I think three if I remember correctly. One of them is high as 40 feet, very thick. You could ride two or three chariots beside them on the tops of these walls. They were massive. Uh, the, the, uh, the food stores in the city were abundant, meaning that if they could wait out an invading army quite easily. They also had a continuous water supply called the Euphrates Rivers. Okay? The Euphrates River went right through the middle of Babylon. It went under one wall on one side, went out uh, under the wall on the other side. It was, they had all the water they needed. They had all the food they needed. They were okay. And so on this night, surrounded by these armies, Belshazzar decides to throw a big party. Okay? Uh, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. Can you say wine? Okay, that's important to understand. All right? Wine. Thank you, Elias. Appreciate that. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his what? Wine. The word wine is repeated several times here. What you need to understand is this is a little bit like a frat party. Okay? It is. It's not just a banquet the way you normally think of a banquet. The, 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 the consistent use of the same word again and again tells us that there was a lot of wine at this party. It's like spring break, Daytona Beach. All right? Okay, so they're drinking wine. While Belshazzar was drinking wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. We read about this in chapter 1. That, that, that Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon defeated Judah. They carried away the young captives, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, um, and they also carried away these gold vessels that were taken from the temple of the Lord God of Israel. So Belshazzar tells them to, to bring out those gold goblets so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines drank from them. So basically what they're doing is they're having a big party. They're drinking a lot of wine. And they're kind of like, I don't know. I know it's really tacky to say this, but it's kind of like they're flipping the bird to God. Okay? They're kind of like giving God the finger. They're taking out things that were supposed to be used as a part of the worship of the Lord God, and they were using them, using them in a massive drinking party. And verse 4 says this, As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. This is, um, they're despising God. They are despising the Lord God, the Most High. Elias, you got a question? Despise means to hate or to dislike in a great way or to disrespect. Does that make sense? Good question. 
So they're despising, uh, kind of hating on God here. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand. Uh, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale. He was so frightened that his legs be- became weak and his knees were knocking. The, the, um, if I remember correctly, the Aramaic, because this is written in Aramaic, not Hebrew, right here. The Aramaic says that, that his joint, joints were loosened. Basically, it, it's like, I don't know if you've ever been hit with really, really bad news. Where you felt like your legs just kind of buckled underneath you. Um, I don't know if you've had that experience. Uh, maybe something, a painful word. And that's what happens here. It's, it's a frightening word. It's, it is, he sees something he cannot explain, something he cannot understand, and he just grows weak in the legs. He's got to sit down. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads the writing... Whoever reads the writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple. That's a color of royalty. He will be clothed in purple. He will have a gold chain placed around his neck. He will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Why the third highest ruler? Remember, he's co-regent with his father. You got Nabonidus, Belshazzar. You would be the third highest. Okay? Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. And sometimes the best advisors, the best counselors, all the experts of the world can't tell us what we need to know. Sometimes the, 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 um, all the experts, all the experts that we look to about so many different things can't tell us what we really need to know. But there's one who can That's right, Elias. You're on target, buddy. Uh, They could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, by the way, the queen mother here, all right? Remember his wives, his concubines are already present. And it's obvious as you read this text, she was more familiar with the previous generation. Okay? So uh, most... Most scholars, most teachers believe this is the queen mother. Uh, the New Living Translation uh, translates it as the queen mother. Uh, the queen, the queen mother, uh, in fact, it's even, if you have the NIV 2011 version of the Bible, you'll see a footnote down at the bottom of the text that tells you queen mother. Okay? Uh, the queen, queen mother, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever. This is just kind of a common, you know, it's what you say when you greet the king. May you live forever. Uh, May the king live forever. Uh, She said, don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. Uh, She's basically saying, man up, son. I didn't raise you to be a coward. Uh, There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, by the way, father in Aramaic, father in Hebrew can mean father. It can mean grandfather. It can mean ancestor. It can mean predecessor. Here, it's used really as predecessor. He was the predecessor uh, of um, uh, 
Nebuchadnezzar was the predecessor of Belshazzar and the kings who were before him. He says, your father was found to have, in the time of your father, he, this guy, who's a spirit of the gods in him, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. I mean, he's like really smart. He's like better than all the experts. Your father... King Nebuchadnezzar appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this, Nebuchadnezzar did this, because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have, been, uh, to have had a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, King Belshazzar. And the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, uh, uh, the king, brought from Judah? Uh, a, lot of, a lot of Bible teacher scholars believe this is kind of a dig. Because he's not referring to him as the one who was over all the wise men. Now, he's just an exile. He's just an exile, a captive. Carried there uh, from Judah. He says, I have heard... That the, I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight and intelligence and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now, I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple. Okay? You're going to have power. You have power. In uh, a gold chain will be placed around your neck. You're going to have money. You're going to be wearing bling, okay? Probably not saying it right. But you guys don't know. You don't listen to rap music anymore than I do. Uh, you, you know, you're, you, you, you're going to have this purple robe. You're going to have a gold chain. You're going to be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. What is, what is Belshazzar doing? You know, when you want the right message from someone instead of the true message, when you want them to tell you what you want to hear, you try to butter them up a little bit. Belshazzar is trying to butter up Daniel. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself. Give your rewards to someone else. Hey, I don't want it. You can't buy me. You can't buy me. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and and glory and splendor. See, Nebuchadnezzar never achieved anything for himself. By the way, every single thing you have is a gift of grace. Did you know that? Every CEO you ever meet of every company who believes that he's really smart, and he got there through his own hard work, received every ability he has from God. It was a gift of grace. He is no different from me or you. Every president, every person of power, every person of wealth, nobody ever got anything that it wasn't a gift from God. Nebuchadnezzar, the most high God, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty, greatness, glory, splendor, Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations, the peoples of every language, dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. 
Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But, important word. It's a word of contrast. But when his heart became arrogant. Can you say arrogant? Pride and arrogance is the downfall of every single human. But when he became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne, stripped of his glory. He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign. You know what sovereign means? It means, yeah, God is, is sovereign. It means he is outrageously, crazy, awesomely in charge. Nebuchadnezzar lived like an animal until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and sets them over anyone he wishes. If you got your Bible open, underline those words. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And he, uh, he sets over these kingdoms, anyone he wishes. Uh, verse 22. But you, Belshazzar, his son... Have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. You knew this, Belshazzar. You have no excuse. You know every bit of this. You know exactly what God did. None of this was hidden from you. Instead, instead means that Belshazzar has done something very, very different from Nebuchadnezzar. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. See, that's what Belshazzar did. When he's having this wild, crazy drinking party, using the temple instruments, the temple of the Lord God Almighty, while worshiping the pagan gods of Babylon. What verse am I on? 23, thanks. Glad someone's paying attention, because I'm lost. Uh, Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You have had the goblets from the temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines, drank wine from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in your hand your life. People, every person in this room, right now, their life is in the hand of God. You did not honor the God who holds... In his hand, your life and all your ways. Therefore, he, uh, God, sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many, Tekel Parson. Here's what these words mean. Many. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Belshazzar, your time of being king is done. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Belshazzar, you have failed miserably. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar's command, command, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck. He was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. This is what history tells us happened on that night. 
the Medes and the Persians, huge numbers of uh, armies, uh, soldiers, uh, they had surrounded the city, uh, and they were pretty smart. What they did is there was a, a, a lake, lake bed, an empty lake bed, and they actually dug a canal from the lake bed all the way to the Euphrates River. They diverted the Euphrates River so that they had time to actually, when the water levels went down, the soldiers of the Medes and the Persians were actually able to wade under the walls up through the Euphrates River, under the walls, and capture the city of Babylon with very little bloodshed. There was almost no, life, uh, no loss of life. They were able to take over the city. Very few people died, uh, but Belshazzar did. few things, few things that I think are important to take note of. First thing is this, and I think this is important to understand. Uh, and we have notes for you. Hopefully you got some when you came in. First thing I want you to see in the text is this. Is those who arrogantly despise God, those who arrogantly disrespect God, those who arrogantly, proudly despise God in worldly indulgence and idolatry, face the threat of judgment. This was something that Nebuchadnezzar faced. It's something that Belshazzar faced. Uh, The indulgence of of the feast, Tim Keller, well, I'm not going to go into that. Understand this, that when they took the temple goblets from the temple of the Lord, it was a total defiance of the Lord God. While they worshipped the the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, uh, wood, and stone. Uh, it, 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 and, and, you know, basically an idol, I know some of you are like, well, we don't worship idols, okay? We don't worship idols. We're modern-day people. We don't live in a pagan land where we bow down to these little images. And the truth is we bow down. We bow down to images we do in our nation today. We, we bow down. We worship power, power. We worship wealth. We worship pleasure. We worship all the things ancient man worshipped. We just worship them differently. Anything that we hold in higher esteem than God. Anything. Anything that competes with your affections. Anything that competes with God for your affections is your idol. The human heart is an idol-making factory. We make idols of all kinds of things. Success, comfort, uh, career advancement, achievement. Um, we can make idols out of pleasure, out of, uh, out of addictions. But anything that competes with God for our affections is our idol. Those who arrogantly despise God and worldly indulgence and idolatry face the threat of judgment. Why do I say they face the threat of judgment? Because when you lay chapter 4 and chapter 5 side by side, and when you lay the life of Nebuchadnezzar, which we did last week, side by side with Belshazzar, we see that there's always an opportunity for repentance. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's an opportunity for repentance. And what we see is that Nebuchadnezzar repented and Belshazzar did not. So anytime, anytime 
any time. We despise God in worldly indulgence and idolatry. We face the threat of judgment. Number two, God exposes the foolishness of worldly wisdom and the superiority of the wisdom and insight that comes from God. Now, where do I see this? Uh, remember what Nebuchadnezzar, or excuse me, remember what Belshazzar did when he saw the handwriting on the wall and he saw the handwriting? Remember his legs kind of buckled? You know, remember that? And then what does he do? He calls in all the experts. He's seeking answers to his problems from all the experts of his world. We do this in our world today. We look for wisdom from the experts. It's called Google. You have a hard question, you Google it. I just discovered a new one. It's called ChatGPT. GPT. It's pretty awesome. Uh, it actually gives you intelligent answers to hard questions. It really does. Uh, but, but, but what we do is we call in the experts, we call in the scientists, we call in the therapists, we call in this kind of person and this kind of person, and we call in all these different kinds of people. But there's a different place to look for wisdom. God exposes the foolishness of worldly wisdom and the superiority of the wisdom and insight that comes from God. That is Daniel. Daniel represents the wisdom and insight that comes from God. Folks, you have this wisdom. You have this insight with you right now. It's called the Word of God, the Bible. This is why we should be in the Word of God every day. This is a word that's better than all the experts that the world has to offer. I'm not going to read all this. Uh, but but just I'm going to. OK, first Corinthians chapter uh, one, verses 18 through 25. Read that. OK, sometime. Not now. OK, but read it. Uh, see, see what, what, what the Bible says. It says the foolishness of God. The foolishness of God. Is God a fool? The foolishness of God. Is wiser. Than human wisdom. Did you know that? God at his weakest is stronger than man at his strongest. <clears throat> the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God exposes the foolishness of worldly wisdom and the superiority of the wisdom and insight that comes from God. That's why I preach from this. I, on Sundays, I don't sit down and write down a few thoughts on how to have a happier life. And then I don't pull out and, and try to Google a bunch of different texts in the Bible to find a verse that, that I can put to each of my points. I don't do that. That's not the way I prepare sermons. I don't do that. We read the Word of God. We read the Word of God. We talk about the Word of God. We look at what the Word of God says. The message is shaped by the Word of God, not by human wisdom. God exposes the foolishness of worldly wisdom, the superiority of the wisdom and insight that comes from God. Number three, the message of the righteous cannot be bought by the wealth, by, by wealth and power. Folks, I think sometimes people want a God who won't say no to them. I think sometimes people want a God who won't say no to them. I think sometimes people want a God that they can control. 
They want a God who will never offend them by what he says. My dad never concerned himself with offending me when I was messing up. If I was messing up, my dad would let me know I was messing up. When I was growing up, my mom wasn't overly concerned about offending me when I was messing up. If I was messing up, she let me know I was messing up. Why? Because they love me. They didn't want me to mess up my life. Folks, God is God and we are not. And, and I think in our world we're looking more and more for someone who will tell us what we want to hear. And that's why, that's why Paul wrote to Timothy and he told Timothy, this young preacher and pastor, he says to Timothy, he says, preach the word, preach the word. Don't preach Google, preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, sound teaching. The time will come. Instead, to suit their own desires. They're looking for a God who won't tell them no. To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Our teaching and preaching must be shaped by the Word of God. And what God's Word says, we have to declare it, whether it's popular or not. If my message can be bought, then I need to lead the ministry. And if any, the message of any other person in a place of spiritual leadership can be bought, it is time for that person to lead the ministry. Number four, God restores those who repent and judges those who don't. What, what God did for Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, in his moment of humiliation, looks up to God and worships God. And what God does for Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, which we did not look at today, God restores Nebuchadnezzar. When, but when Belshazzar knew all these things and was worshiping his gods with a wild drinking party, and then brought in the, the, the gold vessels that were used in the temple to worship God as a part of his drinking party to worship the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Oh, man. At that point, God said, this night, your life will be required of you. That very night, he was slain. God restores those who repent, but he judges those who don't. Number five, God is sovereign over the nations and places over them anyone he wishes. Wow. Yeah, it's right there. It's right there. It's in verse 21. The most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. It's right there in the verse. It's right there in the Bible. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of Babylon, of the Babylonians, was slain. 
and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom. You see, God does away with one and raises up another. Um, those who arrogantly despise God in worldly indulgence and idolatry face the threat of judgment. God exposes the foolishness of worldly wisdom and the superiority of the wisdom and insight that comes from God. The message of the righteous cannot be bought by wealth and power. God restores those who repent, judges those who don't. God is sovereign, outrageously in charge over the nations and places over them anyone he wishes. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come on back up. And uh, today, you know, I don't know if you've been worshiping a God that you think you can control. I don't know if you've been worshiping an idol. I don't know if you've been bowing down to an idol, a loyalty that you have in your life that's greater than your loyalty to Jesus. But today, I want to give you the opportunity to repent. I want to give you the opportunity to repent and turn to Jesus. Because He loves you. He loves you. He wants to save you. You know, as a young man... I was uh, 16. At that time, um, my idols looked like uh, lust. It looked like uh, just staying numb, smoking a lot of pot. Uh, It looked like just um, numbing my brain with TV. It looked like escapism of every kind because I, I was miserable. I was. I was lonely. I was incredibly angry. I was very afraid and insecure. And as a 16-year-old boy, um, I just said, Lord Jesus, I need you. My life is a mess. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. And Jesus... is changing my life. Jesus is changing my life. He's been changing my life since I was 16. Sometimes I'm I'm tracking pretty good and sometimes I'm doing kind of lousy. But Jesus is changing my life. And today, I want to give you that opportunity to do that. Just privately, right where you're at, in your heart, If that's what you need to do, just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I've been worshiping idols of my own making. I have by my sin made a mess of my life, making a mess of my life. I ask you to come into my life, forgive my sin, and make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. Today, if that was your prayer, um, I'm going to be around for a little bit after church. I always am. I'd be happy to talk to you more if you'd like to call me. Uh, I think you can get my cell phone pretty easily. Uh, I don't know if it's on our webpage or not, but you can call me, you can email me, you can text me, whatever works for you, or you can just grab me, you know. But I'd love to talk to you more about that commitment. Let me pray for us. I'm going to turn over the worship team. Is that okay? God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. You are sovereign. You are outrageously in charge. You are in charge of every nation, and you place over each one of them anyone you desire. And, Lord, you deserve all of our worship, all of our worship. Lord, today we want to 
recant of any and every idol of the heart. And we want to renew today uh, our passion, our desire to worship you and you only. And God, we just ask you and the power of your Holy Spirit, the power of, of the gospel, that you would help us become more like Jesus in every area of our lives. And so we want to commit these things to you in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Thanks, Gary. It's, uh, at least for me, it's reassuring that God is in charge and I am not. And it's, uh, sometimes it is some, a place where we have to let go of control. But I think when we remember who's in charge and how much better it is, it's just like an awesome, awesome way to live. Um, I do have a few announcements for us before we finish with our last song. On Easter, we celebrate that just when it seemed like Jesus' life was over, he defied every single odd and rose from the dead. We celebrate how God redefined love and how the resurrection helps us to rethink hope on Easter Sunday. We invite you to join us on both Good Friday at 6 p.m., and on Easter Sunday at 10 a.m. And also, speaking of invitations, I'd like to remind you um, to pick up an invite card. It's on the back table there. And just pray about who you would like to invite this Easter. If it's family or friends or neighbors, we would love to see new faces join us on that day and every day. Um, We'd also love to have some special refreshments on Easter Sunday for all who attend. So if you would like to participate in this, we do have a sign-up sheet at the back that you can sign um, and see Sharon about. Um, And then right now, we get to worship God with our giving. And at SVC, we love worshiping God. And one of the ways that we want to worship Him is through our tithes and our offerings. When we give generously and sacrificially, it's not because God needs anything from us but because we want to show our love for him. So giving is not only an expression of obedience, but it's also gratitude, trust, and increasing joy. So you can find out all the ways on how to give by visiting our website, www.salonavalley.org, or tapping the Give button on our app. And we just, again, thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you so much, Elsa. Let's stand, church. Let's worship the Lord one more time together before we part ways for now. That we call sin and shame They were like prisons That we couldn't escape But he came And he died And he rose Those walls are rubble now Remember those giants We call death and grave they were like mountains that stood in our way. But he came, and he died, and he rose. Those 
giants are dead now. And this is our God. Sing it, church. This is our God. This is who He is. He loves us. This is our God. This is what He does. He saves us. He bore the cross, beat the grave. Let heaven and earth proclaim. This is our God. King Jesus. Remember that fear. Remember that fear that took our breath away. Made so sweet that we could barely pray. Every word, every whisper. Now those altars in the wilderness tell the story of His faithfulness. Never once did He fail, and He never will. No, He won't, and this is our God. This is our God. This is who He is. He loves us. This is our God. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, and we will see you next time.